when they said something complimentary toward me, I would try to toss it off. And Dallas Willard, who was one of our team members, he just said to me, oh, you can quit that humble mumble. And all of a sudden, oh yeah. Welcome to the Renovare podcast, a place for honest and unhurried conversations about interactive life with God. I'm Nathan Foster, and our guest today is pastor of spiritual formation at Living Way Fellowship in Highlands Ranch, Colorado, Brenda Quinn, and her friend and author, Richard Foster. One of the qualities I most admire about my father, Richard Foster, is that of humility. In the midst of all the public work he's done, he's almost painfully down to earth. And so you may understand I was a little puzzled when he told me he was going to spend a year seeing if he could learn about humility. Now, just the fact that I knew someone taking a year to work with humility in the ensuing conversations during that time, it was just really helpful. It sort of drew me in. I found myself saying, yes, yes, of course. Why wouldn't I want to learn more about humility? As its fruit is a life of ease with oneself, freedom from impression management, and a joy just to be. The journal entries from his year eventually worked their way into a new book titled Learning Humility, A Year of Searching for a Vanishing Virtue. And it is a great joy for me to sit down with Richard and Brenda and dig in a little with this foundational virtue. I spoke with Richard and Brenda from their homes in Colorado. So I have had many people on the podcast, many experts, but I've yet to have an expert on humility. So <laughs> you welcome. you don't have any expert on humility. You've got a couple of couple of beginners here. No. But you wrote the book though, right? Like that's the, <laughs> you're the guy now. <laughs> right. With me here is Brenda Quinn a pastor in the Denver area, pastor of spiritual formation. And uh, I love to just hear her talk about how the idea of the virtue of humility, how that works in a pastoral context or doesn't work. So Brenda, welcome. Well, thank you. It's good to be here. It's good to be here with you both. And I agree, Richard. We're certainly right there along with everybody else in exploring humility and learning about humility. And it's really an honor to be here and help talk about it. It's good to just, you know, help our people explore this virtue that doesn't get talked about very much. And I don't know how much thought it gets in lives yeah. today. So it's good to be here and talk about it. Very good. Brenna, tell me, how did you get involved with this project? I think this was about three years ago, and I just one day got an email from Richard saying, I have a team of readers. I'm exploring a book project and a subject, which is humility, and I'm wondering if you'd like to be a reader. So it was kind of a slow writing process, and I got to read a chapter at a time, sometimes a month at a time. Sometimes Richard would wait, you know, be a few months before he got 
writing done again, but it was really fun to be part of that team and just explore the topic from the beginning with him and watch as, as it took shape. And Brenda would write back with such wonderful insights and questions. And I just thought she understands this better than I do. Why doesn't she join me in the podcast so that <laughs> we could explore it together? <laughs> there you go. That's good. I like it. I like it. Dad, could you just give us an overview? What What, what is this book about? Well, let me give the background. For some time, I was just watching culturally, reading and thinking about the history, the Christian history, how that all of the great thinkers valued humility as a most foundational, basic virtue for all the other virtues. But in our day, I felt it was disappearing. I mean, there were people, but on the whole, even in the religious world, it just was never talked about. And then you'd have various kinds of leaders that uh, were anything but humble people. <laughs> I mean, it's not hard to see that. And uh, so I thought, well, I should begin to think about this myself. And then New Year's Eve came up and I was just exploring a little with myself whether I should, uh, you know, make a New Year's resolution. Now, I don't like those kind of things because, at least for me, they last about two and a half weeks. I mean, you know. But I, I, there, it just came, uh, the prompting, learn humility. Those two words, that was it. And I thought, oh, this may be something I really need to pay attention to. So... I began to think about that, and I thought, well, why don't I do a kind of journal and uh, record, I mean, write down my thoughts? And initially, I would just scribble them in all kinds of ways. And then I thought, uh, it's, I don't want to use the, you know, the Latin uh, January, February, March. I'd like to use a Native American calendar. And I looked at about a dozen or so, and the one that I felt most interested in was the Lakota moon calendar. And uh, so I started using that. And that led me to begin thinking about uh, uh, Lakota culture. Now, that's an oral culture, uh, but they, uh, they hold high virtues, 12 virtues, actually, in the Lakota list, although some have different numbers. But And the first one on all of the lists I looked at was humility. And I thought, how interesting. So I began in a kind of journal writing, and I didn't know if this would make a book or not. I just am learning, learn humility. And so I'm doing this. And I brought Brenda in and a few others to think about it. Plus, I was doing sort of a stream of consciousness. So I didn't know, I mean, if this was just interesting writing and learning, 
or if this had anything that might be helpful. And the four or five that I had as readers, they were helping me discern whether what was taking shape would be just, you know, something that I would uh, do personally for myself, or did it have a wider connection? So the whole thing now, remember, for a book, one theme, learning humility and tracing that through scripture, through history, through great writers, through Lakota culture, and there's some of their thoughts. And, uh, and so, the, and, and of course, I was reading material and learning different things. That, that's basically the idea. <laughs> mm-hmm. Also, I was another thing I was working with was how in our culture, people, their attention span has been, you know, reduced in such a way that I thought, well, maybe I could do a kind of writing that could be encapsulated and people could read for a few minutes or focus on something. But I'm doing one theme all the way through the book, learning humility. And you did a nice job with it. I'm, <laughs> I'm very, very excited about this book. Um, Brenda, I'm curious for you, what was your journey like as you're reading the chapters and how did this work for you just as a, as a Christ follower and a pastor? Yeah. Well, I loved his topic from the beginning and I think we've talked about how it just felt like when Richard came up with this idea a few, few years ago, it felt like a good time in our culture for this, this virtue to be kind of to resurface again. And um, so it was fun to read from the beginning and kind of his dabbling in the beginning with, um, you know, the older writers and what did they say about it and why has it been lost in our culture and what, why do people shy away from this word and this concept? And then these people, the Lakota, what, what did they have to say about it? And, oh, wow, can you believe it? It's their very first virtue. And they, they actually say none of the other virtues can exist without this one as the foundation, um, which is what so many of our devotional writers actually also say. Knowing that Richard was in the beginning just dabbling and not sure where this was going to go and whether it was just going to end up being kind of a personal project that taught him a little bit, um, but then to see it really taking shape as he got going and gained some momentum it just felt like this is the time and place for this book and for this subject to come back. And if there's anyone who can bring it to us, it would be Richard Foster. So it's been (laughs) just wonderful to um, be a part of the whole process and to watch it take shape and really to, to think about it um, and ponder as I read. And I think the reason that I sent such long responses sometime, which I don't think Richard was expecting in the beginning um, to get pages more detailed pages. kinds of thoughts on what he was writing. <laughs> I think it was because, and you know, I think that's a good sign because it really generated a lot of deep thought and a lot of consideration about our culture, about the church, about people's struggles. I think just people's struggles in our culture right now and the connotations to the word humility, why people back away from it and why it's forgotten, why it's ignored, why it doesn't become a topic of our Bible studies and our sermons and 
the things that we're teaching our kids, you know, we don't, we don't find it in many of those places. And why is that? I think it generates a lot of deep thought when we get into it. I love the brief, concise kind of statement that C.S. Lewis gave to humility. Can I read it? Sure, go for it. Do not imagine that if you meet a really humble man, he will be what most people call humble nowadays. He will not be a sort of greasy, smarthy person who is always telling you that, of course, he is nobody. Probably all you will think about him is that he seemed a cheerful, intelligent chap who took a real interest in what you said to him. If you do dislike him, it will be because you feel a little envious of anyone who seems to enjoy life so easily. He will not be thinking about humility. He will not be thinking about himself at all. <laughs> Isn't that a lovely description for us? Uh, humility, I mean, uh, it means getting down to earth. Think of our word humus, the earth. It's first a clear conception of who we are, not exaggerating who we are, not deflating who we are, just an accurate assessment of ourselves and how we fit. Now, there's more to it than that, but that's the basic idea. Think of Aristotle's know thyself. Well, yeah, we come to learn about ourselves. Part of it was I was just observing myself, my reactions, and other people in all of that mix. See, the opposite of humility is pride in, in terms of virtue ethics. And uh, Evagrius Aponticus says that humility defeats pride. And that was one of my questions. How could it do that? This virtue that seems so simple, so innocent, so uh, just not having much to it, how does it defeat this huge egocentric, narcissistic feeling that tends to dominate our culture? So I tried to read about it and, and tried to experience it and go places. I was just thinking, let me see, you two talk for a minute and I'll see if I can find the passage. Well, I, Richard, I, I liked another quote that you used at the beginning of the fourth chapter, Timothy Keller quote, that's similar to the C.S. Lewis quote, but it's so much shorter. And I think it really kind of encapsulates both the reasons we're kind of afraid of the word and the concept of humility, but also what it truly is. He says, the true gospel the truly gospel hum humble person is not a self-hating person or a self-loving person, but a self-forgetful person. <laughs> yeah, that's good. I think of it as living in reality, right? having an accurate view of ourselves. Yeah. Not too high, not too low, right? Just a Exactly. But of course, it's so simple, and yet it's so complicated because it involves all of human experience, 
all of interaction with other people, with our thoughts, with uh, our prayers, our relationship to God. It, it brings in all of that. And uh, it is simple in just in its basic sense that we ha we're, have an accurate a sense of who we are. But then how does that work? And that's why Brenda's been so helpful because she works with, you know, a congregation and she's working on the idea of spiritual formation in that congregational setting. So she sees a lot of, you know, this back and forth and uh, you can observe these things in people a lot. <laughs> I'm curious, the humble mumble, could you explain <laughs> that? And then my question <laughs> is, is did writing this or spending this year and then writing the book, did that change or influence or how did that tie in? The phrase comes from a long time ago when our team was, I don't remember what we were working on, but I would, when they said something complimentary <laughs> toward me, I would try to toss it off. And Dallas Willard, who was one of our team members, he just said to me, oh, you can quit that humble mumble. And all of a sudden, oh, yeah. See, that was that not having an accurate sense because you're devaluing constantly especially what other people might say. And uh, no, learn to accept that. And so learning that over a long period of time to just what people say certain things. Now, sometimes people do overly exaggerate because they're trying to impress you or they're trying to win favor. There can be a lot of those things. But just to say, oh, thank you. I'm glad that it's been helpful. And let it go. Not worry about it. <laughs> Brenda, I'm curious how you deal with that as a, as a pastor. I'm sure you get lots of compliments. How do you handle those when people have nice things to say about you? I think I, I like to come to what's underneath whatever it is somebody is coming and saying. And most of the time, it's very genuine. And most of the time it's about how some way that um, I've helped to do just discipling with them or teaching a class or something that I've written has, um, has moved them or taught them or pointed them in a new direction that they needed. And that's not an encouragement that's hard to accept because that's why we're doing what we're doing, right? That's why we're in ministry. That's why we're in relationships with people. That's why we're reaching out and caring for people is, is to point them closer to God and bring whatever kind of change or joy into their life that they need. But I, I do sometimes, I, you know, certainly sometimes there are times where I feel like credit is given where it really wasn't due to me, but it was really due to the moving of the Holy Spirit or 
something mm-hmm. God brought about that really didn't have a whole lot. You know, we all have that where we end up getting credit for something that really didn't have so much to do with us. It was, you know, it, it just happened to reflect back upon us in some way. And I, I, I guess I like to make note of that and bring that out into the open when that happens and not necessarily just be ready to take credit. Now, there's also the opposite where there is criticism. <laughs> I remember one time we we had a team of people working in this church and we would always gather on Tuesday and do a kind of debriefing about how things went on Sunday and so forth. And uh, I had preached that on one particular Sunday. And when Tuesday came around, I and they were evaluating things. I said, you know, I really laid an egg uh, Sunday. <laughs> and <laughs> yes, <thing> you did. <laughs> that, yeah, exactly. That's exactly what happened. The whole group agreed. <laughs> so I had to uh, kind of own that and and go, ah, I mean, indeed. And uh, so... Can I accept that criticism as a way of teaching me to grow a bit? <laughs> a lot of people don't know how to say I'm sorry or to kind of own up to things. And that that mm-hmm. potentially stems from humility, doesn't it? That my ego's fragile enough that I can't handle critique. Right. That... Saying I'm sorry is a example of a humility at work because I don't have to, I don't have to prove myself. I don't have none of that. If, if something has been done uh, that needs an apology, uh, that's the, see, that's the strength of humility that you are enabled to say, oh, that wasn't right. And I'm sorry. And that's that's how, or one of the angles, that is how humility defeats pride. Because pride wants to say, oh, no, no, I really am wonderful. Nobody should criticize me. No, humility says no and puts a stopper on all that self-justification. Does that make sense? It does. I, uh, what I'm hearing in here, humility is really about freedom. Would you guys agree? Indeed. Indeed. Yeah. Free to be who you really are. You don't, have, like you've said, you don't have to puff yourself up. You don't have to try to debase yourself. Just the freedom to be who you really are. Remember, Jesus said, let your yes be yes. Let your no be no. Anything more than that comes from evil. See, in other words, we say just what is the case. We don't try to embellish it. We don't try to push it away. We just say what really is in life. And that is a great freedom. (laughs) The passage I was trying to look up, and I just couldn't find it, 
it was about this uh, cafe. It's a ways away from where I live. Uh, I like to go there once in a while uh, because uh, these are ranchers and farmers. They And there's absolutely no pretense. I just like to talk or listen, actually. Mostly I just listen and... Uh, let them talk about what interests them. But the thing that I watch is there's just no pretense, none. And the, there just seems to be no sense. Now, these are pretty ordinary people. They can swear as good as the next. You know, I mean, don't think of them as particularly pious people, but I just enjoy the lack of, of pretense. It's actually kind of cleanses the soul because so many, I mean, you know, Nate, years ago I used to teach at the, uni at the university and this is a place where, oh my goodness, and you've done it, you've taught in the university where people try to puff themselves up and make themselves look better than they are and just all that kind of silliness and, uh, <laughs> it's just an interesting difference. You're in an environment where people um, not only ask you, but they expect you to have the answers. And there can exactly. be it's going to be the same in ministry. Like, I, oh, I need to step up. And, and then being able to say, I don't know, right? There's a real freedom in, in, in that. Yeah. Brenda, I'm curious for you in your context, what is the freedom you experience as you um, learn humility? I have thought about this a lot as, you know, as I've been reading along with Richard and then as we've been talking about this a lot in the last few weeks. And, you know, he opens up the book in the first chapter with the passage from Philippians chapter two about, you know, us having the same mind as Christ Jesus, um, who emptied himself, took the form of a slave and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Just the, the realization that our humility really is founded in Jesus. And he's, you know, he as, as Richard talks in the very beginning of the book, he is our model for humility. And it has brought me to think a lot about the other verse that Jesus said, to take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. And as we're talking about that, when we can finally accept humility and can accept ourselves coming into that kind of a posture in our everyday living, like you said, we really truly are coming into who we truly were created to be, you know, our true selves. And I think that is such a letting down of a burden to carry our reputation and to carry our ambitions and where we're going in life and um, making a name and all of those kind of things that I, I think are, whether they're spoken or unspoken in our culture, they, they're, they're very strong messages that we get that we're, we're making our lives for ourselves and we're making our name and our reputation. And I think even we as Christians take on that message without, maybe without realizing it all the time, but we definitely take it on and feel that responsibility. And I think when you start looking more deeply into humility and who Jesus was and is, and what he asks us to do is we seek to be more like him and, and to allow his life to be lived more and more through us rather than our human flesh living in and through us. It really is a big relief. 
because it is who who we're created to be. I like that as a person at ease. But Dad, I'm curious, what surprised you in writing this book and spending the year? How uniquely Christian that is the life, the birth, life, death, resurrection of Christ, the Christ event, how that framed a whole understanding of humility as a virtue, because Greek culture, other cultures, did not view humility as a particularly good thing, and uh, spoke. I mean, Aristotle wrote a whole book on virtue, and uh, humility doesn't appear there at all. <laughs> mm -hmm. And to see that contrast is quite amazing. And then to see it emerge in the Lakota culture, I go, isn't that lovely? Uh, Jesus, who is the light that enlightens every person coming into the world, whether they know him or not, is at work in different cultures. And uh, to see uh, this uh, idea of humility emerging in the Lakota culture, I thought, was lovely. Brenda, what would you say to someone listening to this or read the book and they go, okay, I'm in. Like, I want to grow in humility. What what, what should they do? Where's a good place to start? Um, I, I think Richard says this at some point in the book, but I, I don't know that coming at it head on is really the way that it works to say, I want to grow in humility. So, you know, God, every day I'm going to pray that you teach me humility. I think we'd probably... I'll be a little bit afraid to pray that prayer anyway. <laughs> but I, I really think, I, I think it probably kind of comes in almost in the back door when really I think what we need to be doing um, and focusing on is, is keeping our eyes on Jesus and on his life and um, seeking, seeking to live as he teaches us in his word and as, as he lived when he was here on this earth and, seeking to make life about him instead of about ourselves. And I think when we do that, that's when humility starts to be formed in us without it being maybe our first goal. That's good. Dan? Uh, I would say first, so soak yourself in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And uh, just watch. Watch how Jesus did this. Watch how the disciples who are fighting with one another over who is the greatest. Interesting. Of course, when you're struggling over who is the greatest, the concern is who, is who is the least. <laughs> we may not be the greatest. We just don't want to be the least. <laughs> and uh, just, just watching all of those things. So, Living into the Gospels and especially watching Jesus as the paradigm 
for humility. And then the second thing to do is find other people that you can serve. And I mean very simple things. What do they need? Uh, and you, you just find ways to serve them. Uh, one of the best things in our day is just to recognize the presence, the value of another person. Uh, take a waitress in a restaurant or a waiter and valuing what they do. Things like that. It's pretty simple, really. Backdoor. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yes. It's indirection. You don't try to uh, get humility by getting humility. <laughs> You're not going to double yours this week? You're not going there? Yeah, right, right. <laughs> That's why nobody is an expert in this. I'm not, Brenda. No, we're all learners, and we're just growing, seeing what we can learn. But we certainly can get better, right? I mean, there's improvement. Ask a couple of questions. Am I becoming more comfortable when somebody else uh, succeeds? Is it possible for me to enter a conversation without needing to dominate where that conversation goes? Simple things like that uh, will give you a hint about uh, how you're moving in, uh, in humility. Last question, Brenda, for people who read the book, what would your hope be for them? Well, I, I guess I would hope that it wouldn't just be an exercise of the mind, um, that it's another book to read and another thing to think about, but that it would truly work itself into the fabric of the way that we live every day, the way that we are living in relationship with people, the way that we're um, aspiring in our lives and setting goals and um, I guess being content with, as you know, as Richard said, that the small things in life, the, the, the little things and the little areas of surface that don't uh, necessarily get any recognition or any thanks all of those areas, I think if, if we start to see difference in how we approach those parts of our everyday, I think that's, that's an indication that there's work going on and that God's changing us and forming us. And, you know, I, I brought up that passage from Philippians or yeah, from Philippians chapter two earlier. And as I've been thinking more and more about that passage, I think I've just been realizing that God has a self for each one of us, and he's got good works that he created for us to do, as he tells us in the New Testament. And I, I really believe that if we cannot grow in this humility and start to exhibit this in a, in a much more regular way in our lives in the everyday, I don't know that we can really do those good works that he prepared beforehand for us to do. I don't know if we can really be the self, the person that he intended and created us to be because we're going to be too busy and too other focused on, on ourself and on 
doing things and making a life for ourselves that he never intended for us to do. And we're going to miss out on where he did intend for us to put those energies and thought and time and importance. So I think it is pretty consequential whether we grow in this area of humility or not. That's helpful. The thing that I really found helpful about the book was that just snuck up on me of this like allure, like, oh, yes. Like, why wouldn't I want that? Why wouldn't I? Uh, and seeing it as an invitation to freedom, or as you're saying, Brenna, to become our true selves, the self that God right. created us to be. Right. Mm -hmm. And we take up little things like when we finish this conversation, I'll be going outside and shoveling snow. <laughs> Good for you. <laughs> you. And you need to stoke up that fire. It look, looks like it's died down. Oh, it has. Yeah, well, I'm sorry. That's okay. I'll, yeah, I'll those little things up. are helpful, right? Shoveling snow, doing dishes, like the mundane, mm -hmm. ordinary. They help us. Yeah, exactly. Thank you both so much for your time. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. And that was Richard Foster and Brenda Quinn talking about humility in Richard's new book titled Learning Humility, A Year of Searching for a Vanishing Virtue. I'm Nathan Foster, and you've been listening to the Renovare podcast. I'm grateful for all of you who helped make this work possible. You can support Renovare and this podcast with a tax-deductible gift at renovare.org donate. Renovare is a Christian ecumenical renewal effort, offering resources and experiences to help people become more like Jesus. You can find a collection of thoughtfully curated articles, podcasts, webinars, online classes, as well as information on events in our institute on our website at renovare.org. This podcast is produced by Brian Morricon, who also wrote the opening song titled Be Kind. And until next time, be well, friends. Be well.